Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Real Hawk Talk. This is episode 41 and fresh off a Seahawks victory. Ducks have won two games in a row. They are a juggernaut, which no team uh, wants to face, um, other than maybe the team that's coming in this weekend. We'll get into that a little later. We're going to talk a lot about, about a lot of stuff tonight. We're going to talk about reactions to the win over the Cardinals, reactions to some of the uh, unfortunate aspects of that win, including the potentially final game of Earl Thomas's career in a Seahawks uniform. Um, we'll talk about Will Disley and uh, the impact of his loss to the team. Uh, we'll talk about Mike Davis and him emerging as a player that had a really strong game. What do we take from that? Where do we see that um, uh, affecting the rest of the, the season? And then there's been a lot of conversation about Brian Schottenheimer and his effect on the offense and what we believe is him, what we believe might be other things and what we hope to see. And, and is there hope for change there? And then finally, we'll get into a look at the Rams game coming up this weekend against what I think is inarguably the top team in the NFL through four weeks. So lots to cover. Uh, we have our intrepid crew here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry for that. Um, uh, welcome back, uh, Nathan. Good to have you, dude. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It was going well. We we had a fun time this weekend at Ocean Five. Uh, it was great. That was the first time that you and I got to meet in person. And dude, you're you're like six four. You're a big. You're a big dude. I am fairly tall. Yeah, uh, or so I've been told. Yeah, there, there was there was interest uh, immediately in whether you might want to take over for Joey Hunt. Uh, you know. And how jealous he was of your two extra inches, um, but but we'll we'll have to see that play that out the rest of the year. Uh, and then uh, we've got <clears throat> we've got Jeff Simmons back in the house at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Good to have you back, Jeff. Sorry we couldn't fly you out for the Ocean Five gig. I was looking up flights on Saturday. I was just getting jealous. Everyone was getting together. I was stuck in Toronto, but I could I couldn't make it work this week. Uh, well, we'll have, to, we'll have to play another one. When that's April. the idea, maybe that's for a home game. Yeah, Evan's pretty. Um, Evan, well, Evan's moving soon now. What's that? You're moving? No, Evan's moving soon, isn't he? Evan is moving soon. He he seems convinced that he's going to be able to do this, even when he lives in Arizona. He's going to come back for these for some for some reason. I'm I'm interested to see how that works out. But in any event, if there are any other. Uh, 
you know, businesses, restaurants, um, you know, bars that, that would like to get uh, some additional business on Seahawks Sundays, uh, have the Hawk Blogger who come in. We uh, did a great uh, live podcast there. It was a lot of fun. We had Evan do uh, live food takes with uh, his lovely fiance, Alex. And uh, that, was, that was pretty funny, I have to, I have to say. And uh, yeah, a lot of good people came out. It was good, great to meet a lot of you that, that joined. And uh, Ocean Five is a great venue, so I highly recommend anytime um, you're looking for something fun to do. They got all sorts of good stuff going on there, so that, that was great. So Jeff, uh, you know, uh, since we haven't had a chance to really catch up, I'm curious what what was your reaction to that Cardinals game on Sunday and the Seahawks victory there? I found myself more frustrated watching that game than I have in a long time. It wasn't about the win or the loss. And it, I, we said in our first show this year, like the, the kind of cool thing about this season was it's going to be fun watching a team without real expectations of winning every game, kind of like the last four or five years were. I just found they were so, from a strategic standpoint, they were so poor. And they, I think a well-coached and a well-designed, like strategized team would have won that game by 20 points. And the fact that they just had to squeeze that out, and the fact that Pete went on the sh like the radio shows and his press conference, kind of double downing on that strategy, and was kind of happy it worked out, it made me more and more mad. I found just because the way they ran the ball and the way they played defense, that should have been a breeze of a game. And the way the offensive line played, and there was just so many decisions that I, I couldn't understand. The third and one pass and the fourth and one throw and not going for it on fourth earlier. I know these are consistent with Pete and Schoenheimer, and maybe the mo as we've gotten more information, we've learned more about just the advanced analytics and the smart way of being aggressive. And I just found they were so freaking conservative. It was painful to watch because they should have smoked them in that game. The way they were running the ball, that should have been a 20-point game. They should have scored points in their first five possessions. They came out of there down 10-7 and a half. I, I just found myself – far more frustrated than a usual Seahawks game, even though some of them are so ugly and so annoying, but that should have been a blowout. So it sounds like you primarily attributed the fact that it wasn't a blowout to Pete Carroll, to Brian Schottenheimer. Where, where, where is the, the primary blame from your perspective? I'm going to put it on Pete. I think Schottenheimer, there's definitely some issues with what he does. The third and one call, was such an obvious run call. and But I think Schottenheimer is a symptom of Pete and the way Pete wants to play. And the fact that Pete was coming out all week and saying that we tried to shorten the game, we didn't want to take an aggressive play with a rookie quarterback. I get what he's doing. I understand that they can pin him deep and having Michael Dixon helps. I, I just don't understand why on this team where you have kind of a talent drought compared to past teams, why are you trying to be a little more aggressive? Why aren't you utilizing your best assets? The way they were running the ball that game, they were just running the ball down their throats. That third and one play, there were six guys in the box. So I, I think this all comes back to Pete and kind of his old school conservative nature. And I get it. They're winning like this. But I think if they were just from a strategic standpoint, they could have smoked them. They were just running at will. And I would like to see them play a little more aggressive. I think you got to – I think Pete needs to adjust. And it's sad because the way the offensive line played and the way the defense played, there were a lot of – there were a lot of good things to come out of that game, and I found myself just frustrated that they had to come down to that field goal. Yeah, Nathan, I saw a lot of great stuff on your timeline on Twitter. For those folks who don't know, at uh, NathanE11, I uh, recommend follow there. You were 
looking at some of the third down plays, Seahawks went 0 for 10 on third down, which all sorts of historic things of teams winning, going 0 for 10, and that's not exactly the, the group you want to join. Um, but you were looking at depth of target and how many of those really had a chance of even succeeding. Can you share a little bit more about, A, you know, what were your general reactions to the game, but, but B, dive in a little bit on what you found with looking at the tape. Yeah, I mean, as well as the running game performed, um, and it, it really did perform well, even um, from a, like an EPA perspective and all, all of the reasons that we say, hey, running's not good and it's not productive, um, the running game actually performed pretty well. And one of the things it did well is it avoided um, help the team avoid third downs, but what it didn't do was help them be in third and manageable um, distances, which was something that we heard a lot against Dallas. Is that well, it kept them in good, uh, good down and distance situations, and you know they had. I can run through their third downs real quick. It was uh, third and six, nine, nine, twenty-two, fourteen, five, nineteen, one, and three. Um, so they did really poorly in third uh, on third down but i don't know that you would expect them to convert a lot of third nines and third and 14s and stuff like that um which is kind of why there was frustration about the dallas game because you know playing for third and six or third and five you know yeah some games you're gonna uh, convert a lot of those and then some games you're not and uh it, it gets back to you know um the whole thing about pete and how conservative they're running this offense you know his his thing was, you know, I just want one chance at the end. I, I, I just want to be able to win on the last play of the game. And sure, great. We had a chance to win on the last play of the game, and they did. But, like, you don't have to live like that. <laughs> you can you can try. Like, you can try on third and 22. You know, they ran on third and 22, and they ran on third and 19. Um, that's just a give-up call, and there's no reason for it. Um, you can at least try to get yourself a little bit better field position, even if you're not going to convert the first down there, right? Um, so, yeah, it, it's really frustrating to see them so conservative. Um, it's frustrating to see them kind of have this mentality that they're just going to run until third down and then hope that Russ bails them out. Um, it, it was for a win, and, uh, you know, you had the bad taste in your mouth with the Earl injury at the end, but for a win, it was it was a frustrating game. No doubt. And it's interesting, like the not only not only were they running it on those third and longs, but gosh, when you usually see a team do that and they'd run a draw and it's some quarter crazy conservative play, they get seven or eight yards because the defense is not they don't care if you're gonna run for seven, eight yards, they'll give you that. They weren't even getting a yard or two on those plays either. So it's like they get to like fourth and seventeen. So you know, it was it was pretty it was pretty frustrating to see. I thought one of the worst calls of the game that I just I don't think there's any defense for how you could come to this conclusion is second to last play of the game. You know, they had been driving, getting close to field goal range. They were kind of in. I mean, proven they proved to be in field goal range, but it was right at the edge, fifty-two yards for a guy that's already missed two field goals in Sebastian Janikowski. And they had 11, 12, 13 seconds on the clock, and they ran it up the middle so that they then had to spike it with a few seconds left. They're like 
I, I didn't understand any logic there, why you wouldn't try to run a pass to try to get five more yards and, you know, run out of bounds or spike the ball so that you could then have, um, you know, a chance. There, there's, there's some different options they had and how they could have handled that. And that was just one, one play across uh, the board. So um, I think it was the thing that, and this kind of gets into some of the shoddy criticism that, 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 well, I guess we'll talk about a little bit more later, but we can talk about some of it now is how you can have on third downs, not having receivers run depth of route to, you know, having more than one receiver at the depth that you need in order to convert. I don't see how that's going to be a, a super helpful um, strategy in, in a lot of cases. And the fact that you have almost no deep passes whatsoever, I think I think the stat was that Russell had no pass attempts that were deeper than 15 yards downfield or something like that. I, I don't know if that was right, but I saw something like that somewhere. You know, you're taking away one of, of Russ's best best strengths. So that was that was those were things were all super frustrating. Encouraging though is this is something that I think a lot of folks are just going to set aside and and that's that's up to them. But that Cardinals defense had been pretty good against the run going into that game and had not been horrible um, in a couple areas. But the Seahawks offensive line looked pretty good in that game. Like created some some decent holes. Uh, Mike Davis, Rashad Penny. There was a decent. I mean, their yards before contact. I don't know if anyone. If, I don't know if either of you guys looked it up, but um, I would bet that their the yards before contact in that game was better than it's been for the Seahawks in in a while for a running back. Um, it was markedly different than the week before against the Cowboys, where a lot of the contact, a lot of the yards for Chris Carson were coming after contact. So I thought that was great. That proved to you know PFF um, Pro Football Focus. Their grades seem to to match that, or at least represent some some growth there. The running uh, run blocking was better by a significant margin in that game. And interestingly, we're starting to see a trend on the pass blocking. Jr. Sweezy, DJ Fluker in there at the two guard spots. You know, it's possible that this offensive line is is solidifying. <laughs> I think all of us are saying, okay, if it's solidifying, you've got to do more to take advantage of that than throw you know, five yards downfield. So yeah, interesting game. Um, they come away with a win. Obviously one of the other big pieces of news that, that I think we got to talk about is huge injury impact from that game. Um, and, uh, we have to start with, with Earl Thomas. So Jeff, uh, given that you are wearing, I believe an Earl Thomas Jersey, uh, uh, talk to us for a second about, you know what your what thoughts were going through your head when you saw that that uh, injury happen? Just crazy that it happened in that stadium, the same stadium where Sherman went down, the same stadium where Chancellor's career ended. I was just heartbroken. Earl's my favorite Seahawk of all time. I was, I'm just, I just love watching him play, and it was just crushing to see him go down like that, and just the way it happened, and the whole middle finger thing. It was just, for me, it was heartbreaking. He's not only my favorite player to watch, but just the way they, the Seahawks mismanaged the whole thing. It was just a sad ending. And I don't know. It's just every time we play in Arizona, it just seems like something like this keeps happening. Last year, there was that game. There was the Super Bowl. There's 
uh, it's just that stadium's a nightmare. But yeah, I, I was just devastated. It's it's sad and just the whole the, the way they mismanaged everything. That's all I kept thinking about. Just they wasted their best asset and trade chip in the team that's probably going nowhere. And to have him come off giving the middle finger, I, I can't disagree with what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. Well. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the classiest move. Um, no, no. You know, but but understanding why he was doing it, empathizing with with what he was going through, I think I think it doesn't take a lot to to get there. At least I think if you if you if you value empathy at all, um, you know, Nathan, what is you know what? Let's assume for a second that this is the last game that Earl Thomas plays as Seahawk. Um, where does he fit in, in Seahawks history? What kind of player um, does he – what has he meant to this franchise? I think he's probably right there with Walt. Um, and probably, like, you can probably throw Tez and maybe Largent into that. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's really hard to, to – to wrap your head around it like it it's been a few days now but it's still like really soon like it's still hard to believe that we're never going to get to watch earl in a seahawk uniform again probably um but i mean he's been he's been huge he's been like i mean he's got to end up being maybe the best defensive player they've ever had um he was not just really good he was integral to everything that pete wants to do like he I mean, there's always the jokes that, you know, Richard Sherman's only good, only good because of Earl and Earl is only good because of, you know, Sherman and Browner and all that stuff. But like, you know, he really was kind of, a, I mean, he, he was a key guy. Like, uh, and it's just, it sucks that we're never going to get to see him play for the Seahawks again, probably. Like, um, there's no way to like spin this positively. It, it It's a bummer that it ended poorly. Like, I, I sympathize with him. I agree with him, but like, it sucks that this relationship is kind of in a bad place. Um, it's just time will heal that and all that. But uh, yeah, this one's, it's just a, it's just a bummer. It, it's, and it's a bummer emotionally and it's a bummer for the team, like on the field They're they're going to be significantly worse for this. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I don't know if you guys track with this, but I, I think there is some irony in that the reason that the team, you know, one of the reasons the team was uh, hesitant to give Earl a long-term deal was because of potential injury. And one of the reasons that Earl wanted a a long-term deal was because of injury. And end of the day, the Seahawks are going to walk away with nothing, zero uh, from this. And so Earl from all the reports I've read and physically, if, if it's this clean break and, you know, maybe he'll have a rod put in there and he should be good to go by free agency next year. There's even some uh, case to be made that he's saved some wear and tear on his body by, by uh, just having this break. And he's already shown he can come back from this type of injury. And this is not as severe as the first. He still should be able to get a decent payday. It won't be as good. But it's really the Seahawks, ironically, that lose out for not, lack of a better phrase, crapping or getting off the pot. Like they they tried <laughs> they tried to shoot the kind of shoot the I don't know what the phrase is, but like 
they tried to hedge their bets and end of the day they ended up really screwing the franchise by doing that like they ended up screwing earl and they ended up screwing the franchise this idea that they were gonna wait and see if they could beat the rams before they would trade him like who fucking cares if you can beat the Rams? <laughs> I do, but I mean, I yeah, but it. like it's it's we're talking about like uh, we're talking about four years. We're talking about you know an extension for Earl, which is like three years probably, two or three years, or a draft pick, which is four years. So I had people in my mentions like, well, you know, the better team doesn't always win, or you know, who knows what could happen? <laughs> they could be right there in the running for the like. Who fucking cares if they can get lucky? and beat the rams once or if they can get they can go on a hot streak and they can like this isn't a super bowl team and you you can't think about well let's see how we can do it and first and beyond all that if john schneider can't figure out what he expects his team to do against the rams this week that dude should be fired like it, it's not hard to figure out that like one of these teams is way worse than the other and yeah maybe the seahawks can be a plucky playoff team like you know anything's possible but the idea that they weren't going to trade him because well let's just see how we do against the rams is ridiculous is that real is that is that something that's being re reported or is that something that fans are saying it's been reported as a rumor so it, it's coming from media people oh god that is so transparent that is the seahawks uh front office trying to f save face in some way and say that why do the teams do this if you're gonna save face don't put it put it out there that you're uh, well let's we're gonna save face by telling everyone we're idiots like how are you saving face <laughs> exactly. come on yeah right it's been, oh my it's been God. a consistent problem for them it, it's in a lot and just in business in general getting to the top is not the hardest thing it's staying there and maintaining it and making tough decisions and being forward thinking. And we talked about Pete and Shoddy and this team isn't forward thinking. Like they had Sherman and Earl and Sherman, if they traded him a year before, like Bill Belichick is so good at this. He knows when to cut bait a year before the value crushes. They could have got a lot for Sherman that year when they first put him on the market. There were reports they were asking for two first round picks. Like if they put Earl on the market last year, for example, and now it comes out they just they've lost these Hall of Fame players in their prime for nothing, and this is going to set the franchise back. And you have to know how do you move the group forward. And it, I don't know if they got too emotional. I don't know if they asked for too much, but this is just another symptom of a problem of them not being able to maintain a winning program. And just there was rumors that they could have got a lot for Sherman. I think after the 2016 year when he came out against Bevel, and you, that all the stories start to come out. Now they end up, Chancellor, they, they're paying him not to play. Sherman's gone. They're paying probably some dead money for him. Earl, they're paying, what, $8.5 to play four games. They're probably not going to get a comp pick for him. So, yeah, they're, they're, this is a massive bungle from the front office. We've talked about this multiple times, and this just was the exclamation point. Um, uh, you know, this is the, the crap topping on the – the the shit cake they've been they've been uh, making for a, a while here so it's for, it's 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 unfortunate um but you know when i look back you know talking just about earl i mean we, he deserves some more attention for a second and just what he, he's done assuming this is his last game you know i'm interested in where you guys put him relative to all the other members of the seahawks 
um, uh, roster that won that Super Bowl. So, you know, where is he relative to Russ, relative to Doug, relative to Cam, Sherm, Bobby, like most value, Michael Bennett, like where is he in that? Is he number one? Is he number two? How far do you go down before you get to Earl? This is number two for me, I think. Who's number one? Russ. Quarterbacks are most important. Uh, but I mean, they, they, there's those stats like when when he's been out that they're they've gone from like a top five pass defense to or something like that, right? Down to like a bottom five, basically. Like it, it's night and day with him. Um, it's surprisingly tough to like try to rank those guys. Like I love all those guys, but um, I think if you're being really, you know if you're just looking at like the value they brought the, and like the production, um, I think Earl's got to be number two. How about you, Jeff? Yeah. If you're looking from just purely positional stand value as Nathan's indicating, then he probably has to be behind Russell. But for me, just if you're looking at purely just like individual value, I would have him number one and he doesn't play a position nearly as important as quarterback, but I just think Earl, was like the true sense of like that all American blue chip talent, just like the kind of rare player that just doesn't come around very often. Like high school superstar, 20 year old starter in the NFL, second year of pro bowler. Like this guy's a first ballot hall of famer. Like he's like an Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu mix in one. And those are two of the greatest defensive players of the last like 30 years. Guys like that just don't come around. They don't hit in year two and year one and take a, like when was the last time they've had anything close to Earl? And yeah, they had so many good players, Sherman and Bobby and Bennett and Averill and Marshawn was one another one of these blue chip mm -hmm. guys. And mm -hmm. Even if you go through all the teams in the NFL, how many guys truly have like that blue chip, all American first round pick? Like even the team like the Vikings, who's loaded, they don't have a guy like that. Like the Rams have Gurley and Donald, but Sue and like Earl is that guy, and he's been great for eight years. And that's it. I'd have him the most important player in the Seahawks. He's been the best player probably since day one. Yeah, I yeah. think it's fair to say that Earl and Sherm were the two that were the best at their position from that those teams. Like, Russ was never the best quarterback. Bobby, probably not the best linebacker. I mean, him and Keekly and a couple of other guys are in there. Um, but yeah, I think Earl is pretty clearly, he's got to be the best safety, right? I don't know who's better during that stretch and same for sure. I'm sure was the best corner in the league for three, four years. Yeah. That's where I was exactly going to go is that team. The best part of that team was the defense. It was a historically great defense. That defense was predicated on safety play first and foremost. Um, the, the pass rush came later pass rush. Yes. It came in 2013, but 2012, 2011, when it was still the number one ranked scoring defense and number one ranked uh, yards against defense. Yeah, it was. It started with that secondary, and it started with a single high safety that could cover sideline to sideline. And there's nobody else. There's nobody else like Earl, um, really, in the in the league. And there has wasn't really someone super like. I mean, people talk about Ed Reed, and it's not that there's never been great safeties, but Earl's a speed. His his speed. It, it was extremely rare and how he was able and his game speed, uh, the way he was able to play was extremely rare. So I think you could make a case for him being number one. Um, there's probably a case you could make for Marshawn being number one um, or, or, you know, definitely for Russ being number one. I think they, there's a lot there, but 
he's he's been a huge part of the, the franchise. He's up there with the Kenny Easleys and um, you know, definitely a an all time hawk will be in the ring of honor. And if the Kenny Easley thing smoothed over after all these years, I'm not too concerned that the Earl stuff will will smooth over when it when the time is right. So uh the other guy that that went down in this game that has a longer term potential impact is Will Disley. Um, this is a guy that I think um, I think someone maybe brought up Jason Witten as a decent compare or hopeful compare for what Disley could end up being. You heard Russ talk about Disley, you know, obviously glowingly, but you know, maybe a rookie of the year kind of player. Um, that was probably hopeful, but what do you, you know, what did you guys, what do you guys think is the impact of losing Disley? And maybe more importantly, are you concerned at all that he may not return to the same player? This patella tendon injury, there's no guarantee you come back to be the same guy. So, so uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's 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 been hard to process with all the stuff going on with Earl and all the drama there. And like, it didn't hit me the Disley thing until a couple of days later. And it, it's really a devastating injury because how many guys do they have that are just ascending young players right now? We have a lot of guys we're not really sure about. There's some veteran guys, but just like ascending young players, the building blocks, they haven't drafted well. We've talked about that so many times. And Disley, just on so many levels, is one of the guys that really started to emerge almost since the day he got here. And to lose him is it's really tough because Nick Vanette is just, he's kind of just like the definition of just a guy. He's never really. And losing Disley, who really does help as a pass blocker, was starting to show stuff as a receiver. And yeah, the thing that scares me, and you just mentioned it, Jimmy Graham recovered from that Patel injury. It took him a while, but Jimmy Graham is like an athletic freak. He's one of the most rare specimens in terms of athletic tight ends. That injury has ruined a lot of careers. And Will Disley's not exactly a Mr. Athlete here. He got by on smarts and technique. If he loses a step, that he's not an explosive athlete to begin with. He was known for his blocking prowess and X's and O's. If he loses a step, that could be a huge problem for him. And that injury is going to take a long time to recover anyway. And if you take away a little more athleticism, that could be it for him. And it's really sad to see because he was really one of the bright spots of this year because we still haven't seen much from Penny. Rasheem Green hasn't done much since the real games have started. Bilsley's really one of the guys that's been kind of the top end of this class. And now to lose him too, just a, that's just more bad luck for this team. <laughs> Nathan, I uh... – I really don't want to believe that Disley's career could be over. I'm, I'm going to hope on the positive side there. Am I, am, I, am I being unrealistic? Do you think there's a good chance that he comes back and, and can contribute? I mean, I, I don't think what Jeff is saying is crazy, actually. Like, um, you know, athleticism at the NFL level is like, it's pretty rather thin between NFL caliber athlete and not NFL caliber, caliber athlete. I think he'll be okay. Um, I think he'll probably be fine. He's young. He should heal and all that. But it, it is a serious injury and it's not crazy to think that he might not be the same guy again. Um, time will tell on that. I, I do think it's a pretty big blow to this offense. So uh, he was good. I don't think he was special. I don't know that he quite warrants the Jason Witten or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Like he's not, you know, a Gronk. He's not going out there and changing the game on his own, but he was reliable and he had a little bit of rapport with Russ and I think he was improving. And this is a team that right now 
doesn't have a lot of options in terms of weapons. You know, you've got Doug is hobbled. Brandon Marshall can't catch. Uh, Lockett looks okay. He got bobbled up a little bit against Arizona, but that's probably not a big deal. Um, and so you're kind of hoping that like David Moore ascends right now. And I think he's showing good stuff, but um, it, it's, it's rough out there. there. There's not a lot happening in the skill positions. Well, it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that he returns. I, I think that he is a, He's a strong kid. He's uh, determined, and he's just going to get right into to rehab. And um, before we uh, have everybody crying in their in their laptops and and, and iPhones out there, I do want to switch and talk about some of the things that 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 were surprises, and and I think have gotten not as much pub as maybe they deserve. Puna Ford got his first sniff of of game action and was the top rated Seahawks defender in that game. He had like an 87.6 grade from Pro Football Focus. And not only did they have him rated highly overall, but they had him rated highly for pass rush. In addition, higher as a pass rusher than they did as a uh, as a run blocker or a run um, run defender. So he only had 17 snaps, but he made hay in those 17 snaps. I don't know if either of you got a chance to, to look at that, but talk about for a second, Nathan, what would it mean if Puna Ford ended up being a impact interior lineman for this team? How would that affect this, this defense? I mean, I think if he's an impact uh, run stuffing defensive tackle, uh, I don't think that means a lot. I mean, it's great. He's young and cheap and you want good players, but, that's not where Seattle's lacking. Um, if that pass rush grade, you know, keeps up, then that that's huge because, uh, I mean, they looked pretty rough in pass rush. Like uh, Josh Rosen looked pretty comfortable back there. And um, if they're going to want to, if they're going to try to steal games from the Rams of the world, like they're going to have to get pressure on the quarterback. And uh uh, that's not something that they're doing so far. So if he can be an effective interior pass rusher, which um, I don't think he's going to be great there, but I think he can be decent or good for maybe, a, you know, a one tech um, or a nose tackle type, um, that, that could be a big help. Jeff, did you see anything in the game that, that uh, stood out to you about, about Puna Ford? Uh, just, just some of the stuff that was we heard about him when he was signed as an undrafted free agent. He gets so low to the ground because he's kind of got that different squatty frame. He doesn't get low to the ground. Yeah, he's he just always low, low okay. to the ground. He's the Joey Hunt of defense. <laughs> uh, yeah, so with him, just they just need guys who can push the pocket. And People have been feasting on that Arizona offensive line. Seattle couldn't do anything against them. And God, does this team need some pass rush help because they're not getting much. I just want to see more snaps from the guy, and that's kind of – Maybe that's unrealistic to think that maybe in a year where they're probably not going anywhere, I'd like to see more snaps for younger guys. I know Pete always talks about that. But when you see like Shamar Stefan getting like 34 snaps and Jefferson and Brandon Jackson almost doubling Puna Ford snaps, to me that's a little disappointing. I I think guys like Puna, maybe even – they don't seem to like Naz Jones too much this year. No, they don't. No, he's getting like six snaps a game. I'd like to see some of those guys get more snaps because they're not generating anything in pass rush. There was that good game against Dallas, and that was their only home game, and maybe that makes a big difference. But 
they look terrible as a pass rushing team. And if Puna can add something, especially as a young guy who's ascending, that's a big deal for this team because they don't have pass rushers and they need them so bad. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, I mean, Jaron Reed had his third sack in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. And now, ha- I mean, he, he had three sacks in his first two years combined. Then you've got Puna Ford, who's getting 17 snaps. And those snaps are coming at the expense of guys like Naz Jones. And I'm okay with that if if he's going to produce. And if he's – I saw on one of the goal line defensive plays where Puna was in there, you know, I, I noticed 97 flashing, and I was like, wait a second, that number I've not seen. And I had to, to figure that out, who it was. And he was getting penetration. He was being disruptive. And that was only maybe one or two snaps that I was noticing that. But – he was only a handful to begin with. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, he could have been kind of uh, blowing his his uh, his energy and, and knowing he was only going to be in there for a few snaps and it won't really hold for a more extended try. But let's see. Uh, that's what this season is about for the Seahawks, is seeing what these young guys can do. And if you can have a rotational one-technique situation that's actually giving you some push in the pocket, that can be a really big deal. Um, and that, those are ex- that's an expensive position. If you can find an interior lineman that causes interior pass pressure, those that's an expensive role to find. So it's not quite as expensive as a as an edge rusher, but um, you know, a disruptive interior lineman is pretty pretty valuable. So uh, that was exciting to see. And then the other one that that was I have to admit took me by surprise a little bit is Trey Flowers, and I think he's been showing up in the games in two ways. One, as I've continued to say, in coverage, I think he can guard things that are, uh, you know, running a straight line down the field on go routes, fade routes, that kind of thing. I think he's shown the ability to stay on top. I think he's struggled if there's any kind of uh, 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 lateral um, uh, aspect to the route where they're crosser, crossing the field. He hasn't seemed to be able to keep up um, laterally with players. And then the other thing has been um, his run support. I think he's shown the ability to be physical. He's a former safety from college, and I think some of that was showing up. I didn't realize to what extent or at least how pro football focus sees it. Now, they're not everything in in this, but they have Trey Flowers as the number one rated run um, defending cornerback in the NFL. He's like a 94 or something like that, and elite is 90. And so he is, he has shown up so far. He had a forced fumble in this game. Um, that was a really underrated part of Richard Sherman's game was how he developed as a run defender and actually played a key role there. So the way I see it is, you know, if Trey Flowers can be a guy that is an elite run defender and an evolving, uh, you know, coverage guy, he can defend one of the major routes and keep that short. That's a promising sign for a guy that, that, I've been on the fence about in terms of how ready he is to be playing. Um, what, what's your take right now, um, Jeff, on, on uh, Trey Flowers? Yeah, you mentioned Flowers' game pretty well. He's, he's playing really well in run support. He, is, he's got, he looks pretty good. And he, he looks really confident. And I know he's struggling in coverage on lateral routes, and I'm terrified to see what's going to happen to him this weekend. But he looks really confident just the way he's attacking the ball, the way he's coming up and playing the run and he's tackling well. And he just looks he just looks comfortable out there and he's got not maybe not too similar to Browner. He's not nearly as physical, but 
in terms of like his strengths and weaknesses, he's got some similarities there as he can't cover maybe that deep speed as well. And the quicker crossing routes might give him a lot of trouble, but it's just, it's good to get a guy like that. Like I was ripping John Schneider earlier for making non forward thinking moves and not playing enough young guys. And so I was looking at over the cap before. And if you have Griffin and flowers as your starting corners for a, a while now, those two combined have a cap hit this year of 1.2 million. As much as we all hate getting rid of Richard Sherman for nothing, replacing an 11 million dollar aging player on a team that's probably going nowhere with a one with a combined 1.2 million dollar, these are the kind of moves that this team has to make to move this thing forward. And that they're finally doing that to me, that's that's real progress, and that's what the great teams do to keep this thing sustainable. And the fact that you can get two starting cornerbacks for just over a million dollars, that's really important for this team. Yeah, so Nathan, I, I can't imagine you're going to be too excited about good run defense, but um, what, what's what's your take on on Trey Flowers to this point? If you can force fumbles, I'm all about good re- run defense. That's, <laughs> that's That works. Um, yeah, he's fine. He's, he's uh, th- this is the test, right? I mean, good job. He held up against Case Keenum and Mitchell Trubisky and Dak Prescott and Josh Rosen. Let's see how you do now against McVay and all that. Um, he's fine. He's a fifth round rookie that's starting and doesn't look like a dumpster fire. Like that's, that's something to build on. That's workable. That's quite the glowing, glowing, uh, review. And I, I think it's actually a fair one. I, I like the thing that, that for me stuck, stuck out was, you know, if, if you are, if you're going to be average at pretty much everything, then it's hard for me to get too excited. I think if, if you can be a rookie that steps into a, a, a edge cornerback role and you cannot be a dumpster fire, that's okay. Like to me, that's like Jeremy Lane level. Like that's okay. This guy could maybe be a serviceable cornerback for a few years and he's going to drive you crazy in some situations, but he doesn't have huge upside. If you're a, a, a rookie cornerback that can come in and do something better than any other cornerback in the NFL, that's interesting. Like that, that right there is a strength that you can start to, to build around. You know, Brandon Browner had really unique strengths and a lot of weaknesses. And I think Pete's shown an ability to take players that have unique strengths and do something interesting with them and, and adjust. So, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm certainly going to keep an eye out. He is not, I I think he's done well in run defense. I can't say that he's jumped out to me as like outstanding (laughs) or elite at run defense. So it jumped out to me when I looked at that grade and when I saw that, and, and it's caused me to want to kind of go back and, and take a closer look um, as that plays out a little bit further. But He's not making splash plays against the run, but like when the running back gets to him, he brings him down. Like I can't think of any times that he's missed a tackle. And it's not like he's flying in the backfield or doing anything crazy, but like he's making tackles where he's meeting the, the the rusher and that's good and then he's he had the fourth fumble and stuff right and i don't know how much that can skew it it's only four games so yeah yeah i mean it's definitely looking for as many of these these uh draft picks to potentially look like they could be part of the future and there's some signs that flowers could be so i i, I think you know it's definitely too early to anoint him as the next great seahawks corner um but but there's some encouraging signs there one of the things i'm kind of curious about guys is uh, <laughs> there's a new missing player from the Seahawks heading into this week, and it's not due to injury, 
it is Michael Kendricks, who has come, contributed, and is now gone. And I've been meaning to talk about this with you guys for a while, but the KJ Wright injury situation, two weeks ago, I got the feeling, uh, I got the really negative notion that when Pete Carroll was talking about KJ, his tone changed, his uh, prognostications of when KJ was going to return changed, and... I was like, oh, instead of him almost being back, I'm wondering if this might be long-term. They said he started running, I think, is the most recent thing I heard. Um, But he is not going to play this weekend. Let's start with just, what's your your Spidey sense telling you about KJ? Are you guys expecting him to come back? And and are you worried that he's going to really be able to be the same KJ um, if he's dealing with this kind of knee injury? What is the knee injury? I, I, that's all I've heard is knee injury. Well, we were told it was just a scope. I mean, it was it was a arthroscopic deal. So, um, you know, loose bodies and all that kind of stuff, likely dealing with some cartilage. Um, but who knows if if there's something more than that? Uh, I, I I don't have a spec. I'm not going to speculate on a, like a injury or whatever. Um, but it is, it does sound bad. It, it, we'll see if he comes back. If he doesn't come back, did we, have we seen the last game of KJ Wright in a CX uniform? This is the last year in his deal, right? Yes. So that's a fun thought. <laughs> I, I'm not particularly, I'm, I'm not as concerned with KJ potentially, Moving on, um, I'm more concerned with the fact that that uh, I don't think they've really found the right <laughs> the right person to fill in for him yet. So um, I guess both of those are obviously linked. But my point is, I think there's been some signs of KJ Wright slowing down a little bit even before he he left with this injury. Um, and so I don't know that I was going to be super excited if the Seahawks offered him some kind of long term deal after the season. Um, I have some questions about whether they need to put that money elsewhere and, and, and invest in other people, but I would like to see him play again this year. I, I, I would hope that he can play again. What, what, what's your take on that, Jeff? In terms of signing him or in terms of his injury? Both. They're okay. related. So I think the timing of his injury kind of starting to make sense. Pete's been kind of weird about this one, but he's not going to play this week. They got the trip to London next week, then the bye. So I think the most logical explanation is probably they're going to aim to get him back after the bye. They're not going to send him out to London. He hasn't played. So I think that is kind of where this thing's heading. From the sound of it at the beginning, it seemed like he was going to be back like by now. But unfortunately, the Kendricks thing didn't line up to match this injury. I'm guessing the Seahawks were trying to angle for that. But for whatever reason, the NFL decided to suspend him now, even though they knew this months ago. So... I'm not sure what their process and we can rip on them for hours, but we'll, in terms of signing them, I, I don't think it's a prudent move. I think if the Seahawks are trying to get younger and trying to rebuild kind of, I don't think at his age, he's the kind of guy who's going to get better with age. And he's such a smart, technically sound player and he knows the scheme, but once his speed, his speed's starting to go a little bit. And, and I know, I don't know if it's Shaq Griffin will be that guy, Shaquem or, I don't know if Calitro is anything. Probably not. But I don't think he's. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say very, very unlikely he turns out to be anything. 
But I, I just don't think where the Seahawks are. I think they need I mentioned this a lot. I think they need to get younger and faster. And I think if you're a smart team, he's the kind of guy you have to replace with a younger player who's going to make a tiny fraction and use that money on more sustainable. Maybe that's another weapon for Russ or an O-line or pass rusher because those are the, the premium positions. And signing a linebacker who's getting up there in age, I don't think that's smart business at all. Yeah. So he's making $8 million this year. He was making six and a half. The averaged over the two years before that um at what price do you bring kg back because I, I think he could be affordable i don't expect kg to go out and get like a four-year you know 32 million dollar deal or something like that right well it really depends on his health i mean if, if if he's just kj but a little bit less than what he's been you know four million bucks is is to me reasonable for someone like like that i don't know if he'll be able to get more than that but the money isn't really it's, it's more the years that I'd be concerned about than it is specific money because the Seahawks got crap tons of cap space next year. So I don't think that's as much the issue. I just certainly wouldn't want to see him sign a three-year deal um, with any kind of guarantees that would go past a year. Okay, so I want to completely derail as I know we had kind of an agenda. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. So Frank needs an extension. Is he going to get paid? That's 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 what appears to be the plan. I mean, I think they moved on from Tyler, and I, I'm guessing that Frank's on their list right now. Um, the question is whether Frank wants to be extended uh, in season or whether he is interested in hitting the open market. So, okay. And then Wagner will be going into his last deal next year. So... You know, we're all frustrated about the Earl thing. They let that play out too long, and he gets hurt, and they're probably going to lose him for nothing. Are they going to extend Wagner? Should they start thinking about trading Wagner? If Clark wants to hit free agency, should they trade him now? I don't think that makes any sense. Not not the the Clark thing. Like so, are, I mean, is basically are they just going to pay Clark whatever he wants? I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fine. I think they have to. I mean, I, I if you let him, if, if if you're at the point where you think he just wants to get out to free agency, it doesn't. It, it could not matter how much you pay him, right? I mean, he gets to choose now. Yep. Well, they can always franchise if they wanted to. True. That's true. But so then, all right. So let's say they keep Clark one way or another. Then. Should they trade Bobby in this offseason? I don't think so. Um, Jeff, where are you at on that? He's making, just so you know, he's making $14 million this year, made 13 and a half the year before, and 7 and a half the year before that. So I don't know what, I, I can pull up the top linebacker contracts here real quick, but I think you got to figure he's making, what, 12, 13 probably, mm-hmm. at least. Cap number next year will be $14.1 million. Oh yeah, sorry. Fourteen next next year, thirteen and a half this year. You're right. Yeah. So top linebacker getting paid. So Keekley's getting paid uh, twelve point three million a year on average. Twenty seven million guaranteed. He signed through twenty twenty two. What do you think you can get for Bobby in a trade on the last year of his deal? I feel like you can get a second for Bobby, right? Especially if you're going to do it like ahead of time, plan it out right, all that. I wouldn't be surprised if you get a first-round pick for Bobby Wagner. Well, if you, you can, you probably got to do that. If you could get a first-round pick for Wagner, you think you could get a first-round first pick for Earl, though, right? Why didn't that happen? 
Uh, isn't Wagner younger? Uh, Wagner will be 29 going into next year. Earl is 29 this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So same, same deal. Well, Wagner has not had the injury history that Earl has now had, um, uh, even before this injury. Uh, and Wagner, I mean, Wagner is up there in the defensive player of the year, um, level. And, and I think linebackers, especially middle linebackers have been proven to be able to play later into their careers. I mean, Wagner definitely has a, a game predicated on speed, but he seems to be entering his prime, not exiting. And I think there's some question about whether Earl was, you know, is he going to be able to stay in his prime all the way into his early thirties, like mid thirties, I guess uh, there's more, I think there's more question to me there. Yeah. I, I don't really have a strong opinion on this yet, but like, I think if, if you were running the team, you'd have to be thinking about the Bobby thing now. Uh, and planning around that because otherwise you're just going to end up exactly where you are with Earl. Yeah. And if, I mean, and if, the, and if you just want to pay Bobby, like I, I think you're right. I don't have anything to back it up, but I feel like linebackers and especially like middle linebackers have pretty good longevity and stuff. And so I don't think just paying Bobby is the bad answer. Yeah. And I mean, not that uh, we've joked about this a lot, but logic isn't always the thing that's dictating things right now. But I mean, you sign Dwayne Brown for a, three-year deal into his mid-30s or late-30s, and you don't sign Bobby Wagner? I, I, I don't know if, if... I mean, they wouldn't pay Earl. Yeah, I still... Even before the injury, I had questions. I, que- I mean, it was among the few, but I, had, I, I empathized with why the Seahawks were hesitant about the Earl thing. I don't see as much reason to be uh, hesitant about Bobby, but, but that, that might just be me. Listen, I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys. So a, a, a big thing that's been going on right now, um, a lot of conversation around this has been Schottenheimer's play calls, and this kind of transitions into you know our final topic around the the Rams. But um, what I've seen, and, and I'd love for you guys to fill in some blanks and what you're seeing is a few different questions. One is that the Seahawks, um, that the the overall NFL right now, with all the, the change with the rules. Um, you're seeing a, a huge shift to even more passing on early downs, you know, in, in neutral game situations where the score is within one score, the game's within one score. Uh, it's within the first three quarters and it's one of the you know first or second down. And you're seeing a lot of teams heavily rely on the pass in those situations, much more than they have in the past. Um, the Seahawks are not doing that. Um, they are actually going the other direction and they're starting to run more the first two weeks of the season. They were passing, I think something like 61 or 62% of the time in those situations. The last two games they've passed 37% of the time in those situations. So that's going way down. Um, another thing we're seeing is that a lot of criticism that we know that Russell Wilson, he's not only a great deep passer, which they're not doing much of, but he's a great play action passer and they're not doing a lot of that. And you see teams like the Rams doing that on like almost 40% of their passes, I think, are, are play action, I think is the number I saw. So um, I'm kind of curious where where you guys are in this because one of the, the things that challenges at least some of this, this uh, notion is first two games, the Seahawks offense was, as we said, heavier in the pass, putting more on, on Russ's shoulders, um, putting more – just in general on that, we saw in the second half of the Bears game, they went a whole quarter without running the ball once, and there was all a bunch of uproar about that. 
And they lost both of those games. And then you go into the last two games and they're running like crazy all over the place and getting some success and getting better at it. And they won both of those games. But we had a lot of criticisms about how some of the, the play calls. So what do you guys make of that? And, and Jeff, I'll start with you on that. Well, there's a couple of different points you made in there. So the question is, is it running like a normal team? Like, would I rather have them run a DiFilippo offense, an Andy Reid offense, a McVay? You watch what they're doing, and they're just such well-designed, smart offenses. But the question is, what can you do? Would you rather pass with that kind of offense or run? It's pass all the way. Those offenses are great. The question to me, and the question the Seahawks have to be asking right now, because they're not going to run that smart offense. They like the archaic one. So running in a Schottenheimer offense or passing in a Schottenheimer offense that seems to take away Russell's greatest strengths of the passer. So I wonder if that's more the question the Seahawks have to be asking, because usually it's a very different question if you're going to run one of these modern offenses. So if you're asking whether the Seahawks should run more or pass more just in the context of a shoddy offense, the way this team's built, I can see why they're having more success as they've shifted a little more to running because their passing game is nonsensical. They don't run, they don't run deep passes. They don't run play action. They run guys short of the sticks. It's a very strange offense and it's not working very well as they've shifted towards the run blocking, which has Sweezy's come in and Fluker's come in and they've shown an ability to run the ball a little bit. I can see why they've had more success that way, but it's a tricky question right now because you want to see them run the more modern offense because that's what works. Passing is what works. It's where you get chunk plays. It's what's effective, but they're just going to pass more using the shoddy offense. I'm not sure how much more effective it's going to be because it's a, frankly, it's a terrible offense. So Nathan, I can only imagine what your thoughts are on this, but um, you know, I'm interested in, so Interestingly, also, in terms of percentage of deep passes, Russell was at 15.1% um, of his pass attempts were deep throws in the first two weeks of the season. Um, and let me just double check on this. Wait one second. Um, so first two weeks of the season, uh, Russell was 15.9% of his attempts were deep throws. That was 10th in the NFL. So top 10 in terms of percentage of his throws. Last two weeks of the season, Russell Wilson is at 7.7%. So significant drop in percentage of deep passes. He's 32nd in the NFL in that time frame. So we're seeing an offensive shift to go much heavier on the run on first and second down. We're seeing a, an offense that is actually increasing their play actions. They were, Russell Wilson was at 14% of his passes were play action in the first two weeks. So they're now 20%. So it's going up. It's not up to 37, but it's going up. And you're seeing the deep throws go down drastically. Um, what's your take on, you know, you know, some people will say, well, hey, they, they, they lost the first two games and they won the last two games. So this seems to be working. Where are you on that? I mean... I'm not actually even sure why we're talking about run versus pass when it's all bad right now. Uh, like, you know, 2016, Seattle was the 16th overall uh, offense in DVOA. 2017, they were the... I just lost them. I had them. They go 14th overall, right? It, 
So they were okay offenses, and you can start to talk about how you like min max and make sure that the most like they're just bad right now. When they've been running well, they've been bad. When they've been passing a lot, they've been bad. When they've been running a lot, they've been bad. They're just kind of bad. And I think a lot of stuff that you're talking about was play action and you know depth of target and stuff like that, and just the the, the deep shots that they're taking. All that plays into it, and they just need to be a better offense before I think we start to worry too much about running versus passing because yeah, they've won the two games that they've ran more in they lost the two games that they passed more in, but the offense has been crappy throughout. And so I, I, they just need to, yeah, like, so great. Like, okay, good job. They ran a lot. They were and they were effective running. They, you know, needed a last minute field goal to beat maybe the worst team in the NFL. Um, and they scored what 20 points. I don't remember now, 23, like nothing about this is nothing about this offense is working, whether you're pro run or pro pass right now. I don't know if I I can go all the way there. I mean, we've seen, I mean, they're, they're 22nd, uh, 24th in DVOA and passing and they're 22nd in DVOA and rushing. They're, yeah. they're bad, right? It's it's hard they're to looking. say. I mean, they'd probably be better if they were passing because – but I don't even know if that's true when you look at like the Arizona game. Like, they were not passing for that many more yards or anything. So, no, like, they have a lot of stuff that they have to fix. Well, so, so playing this out a couple different ways, like, do they have a better chance – so this is one pass. Do they have a better chance of beating the Rams? <laughs> Let me phrase that in even more conservative ways. Do they have a better chance of making the game close against the Rams and having a shot to be close um, playing the way they have the last two weeks or the first two weeks? Gut instinct. First two weeks. You think Uh, they have a better chance in in that situation? How about you, Jeff? Against the Rams, they probably have to, like, shorten the game and limit possessions. That's kind of... They can't but, keep up with the Rams in that passing. Their passing game is so bad. But you have to when you shorten the game, you have to like that cuts both ways. Oh, I don't like either scenario, Nathan. Yeah, I well, both, <laughs> I think they're I mean, both horrible. They have to play the Rams, and and that's bad news. But like, I get that. Like, I I agree that like if they take the Cowboy and Cardinal game plan and they run sixty percent of the time or whatever, the game the score is going to be closer. But like. It, it could be one of those where they could pass a bunch and lose by 21, or they could run a bunch and lose by 14. But when saying. you <laughs> limit the number of possessions, well, those 14 points get harder to make up. Like, and so I mean, I, I think the 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 game theory here, right, is that if you're the well, I guess the game theory is if you're the underdog, you want to limit the possessions and try to get lucky. So maybe maybe the running way is the right way in this case, but. Um, yeah, I just don't, I, I don't see them just like trying to go run, run pass, like, and yeah, maybe they will make it look not as bad against the Rams, but I don't think they, I don't think they maximize their chance of winning against the Rams that route. Yeah. I, I think they do actually. I think that they do maximize their chances that way, mainly because I think the Rams are a juggernaut and, and I can't see a situation where even if the Seahawks passing offense starts to do better 
and they're leaning on that, I don't see how they stay in a game with the Rams passing offense. Um, with the, the Seahawks pass rush as it stands right now and some of the questions I see, you know, um, you know, especially with Tedrick Thompson coming in, which we didn't talk about at all, but we'll see how that plays out. Hopefully he proves us all wrong and, and is a better player and playmaker than, than uh, we're expecting. But um, the Rams' defense historically for whatever reason has struggled more against the run than they have against the pass, even with Aaron Donald. Like, I mean, they, they, and Michael Brockers, like those guys have been there and they've had trouble at times containing the run. We saw the, the Rams come in last year in Seattle and score, like they score 40 points in the first half. I mean, whatever it was, it was insane. Like they just destroyed Seattle. So I, I think if, if Seattle can get any success running the ball, if they can keep this game close at all, then that at least plays into one of other Russell's other strengths, where if he's trailing late in the game and they let him loose, he seems to play his best football in those. Let's situations. talk about that though. That's gone. That doesn't happen anymore. Like, where did they get the ball after the missed Arizona field goal? They got uh, it on like what the, the twenty-five or something around there. I mean, they got they had decent field position if I remember right, and they had what a minute fifty. They had at least a here. Well, I don't have to guess. Yeah, they had a minute fifty. They went. They got the ball. The the their own thirty five. Had a minute fifty, and they had seven plays that got them thirty one yards. Yeah, they had to settle for a fifty two yard field goal by Janikowski. Like at half. They got the ball uh, on their own 25 with a minute 22, and they went eight plays for 25 yards and punted. Like, and I, I think that you go back and you look at the previous games, and that's held true. Like that, the the the, the exception I think is the end of the Chicago game, but other than that, they have not had that that end of half magic. Well, they had it at the end of the half in Chicago and right. in Russ. End of the game half. in Chicago. Did they have it at the end of the half? I don't remember. They did. They did. Uh, Janikowski made a field goal. It was That game was ridiculous. The Seahawks had no business being in it for half of it, but they were within a score. But that's not what they used to do. Yeah. They didn't used to settle for field goals. They used to go down the field and score touchdowns. Uh, I don't know. We have slightly different memories there. I, I, I've definitely seen Russell do a lot of <laughs> I remember them doing a lot of Russell getting them into position and either missing a field goal or making a field goal. Um, foregone conclusion. They're not dynamic in the way that they once were. But yeah, I think you and I both... In Chicago, they had eight plays and went 37 yards. <laughs> and got a field goal. Like a 56-yard field goal. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's not great. Yeah, it's not great. But I think we all saw it in that Chicago game. Once they fell down by two scores are 17, 17 to three. Russell did look like that guy and the offense did start looking like that. So I don't think it's gone. It's just, who knows what the formula is for that to click in, um, what the defense has to do to contribute to that. All those things could play a role, but I guess my point was being that this is a really tough, this is a tough matchup for anybody in the NFL. I don't care which team you are. The Rams are stacked. Um, I think for the Seahawks to have a chance to, to really make it competitive, I think the run game is going to be absolutely crucial. And I think that they do need to show that they can control the ball for a little while, um, limit, um, limit possessions for that Rams offense, and 
you know, uh, I think it also involves slowing down the Rams running uh, off rushing offense as well. The Rams have a great passing offense, but when Gurley is, is bottled up, I think the Rams have a little bit uh, bigger challenge. I think they rely on his ability to make third down a little bit easier for, for Jared Goff when they are in third down, which they seem to rarely be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's a tough, it's a tough sell to come up with a formula that makes it realistic for the Seahawks to win this game. Any way that I see that happening, it feels like it's got to be around the run game. And I'll just be interested to see if, if one, if, if this offensive line looks like it really can continue to build and, you know, take on what is a monster defensive line and how they're going to do this running back thing. You know, Chris Carson didn't practice today. It sounds like he's definitely going to play. But, you know, between him and Mike Davis, you know, maybe Rashad Penny is still in there as well. Um, I'm curious to see how that plays out. But uh, where are you guys at on on predictions here? What are you thinking for a, a score of this game? Uh, it's not going to be pretty, I don't think. Like, if they can keep it within two touchdowns, I'm going to probably be happy. <laughs> how about you, Jeff? I don't think I've ever been as skeptical in this era going into a game. I think they're going to lose by almost 30 points. So it's not crazy. Like it's, it's I usually crazy to predict that in the NFL, but it's, it's not crazy. I just think this matchup works so poorly against them. Like the way McVay attacks schemes, you saw what he did to Mike Zimmer last week. He just found the weaknesses in that scheme and Seattle runs that basic scheme where it's so reliant on talent. And I just think they're going to be able to attack it and, then they're going to like pin their ears back and go after Russ, who's had trouble against those guys in the past. I just think this matchup works so poorly for. Her. I hope I'm completely wrong, and maybe home field helps. But I'm so yeah. skeptical. So, so interestingly, like my my absolute like instant take is like 37-7, like uh, Rams. Like that's that's definitely where my head goes. But I'm actually going to predict that this is that the Seahawks are going to completely confound everybody and make this a game, and that the combination of them being at home field, um, them getting a little bit more reliability on the ground game, um, I can see Russ stepping up for some reason. You know, like in this matchup and uh, in division, and just some of the challenges there, and Pete's ability to if there's for all the things we've been saying negatively about Pete, I don't care what anyone says. What he's done with this defense this year is pretty freaking remarkable. Like, it is pretty remarkable. I do not think this defense is anywhere near as talented as any of the defenses we've seen before. It's like seventh in the NFL in yards against. It's like ninth or maybe seventh in points and ninth in yards, but something like that. Yes, we could talk about who they faced offensively. That same Bears team just scored like 40 points or 50 points <laughs> against the Bucs. So it can't be as bad or, you know, there are at least potential for them to have given up a lot more points than they have. It wouldn't shock me if Pete is able to scheme and find a way to frustrate Jared Goff. I still believe, no matter what I'm seeing in the numbers, and, and I will, will continue to potentially be the, the lone holdout here, that Jared Goff is a product of the scheme and is not actually as good of a quarterback as his numbers indicate. And that when he faces a defense that can that can take away uh, some of what he's used to in his first read, and you know doesn't have to worry about passing, and or he does have to worry about passing a receiver that's more than 
you know, that's covered by someone who's less than uh, seven yards away from, from the ball, that he's going to struggle a little bit more. So I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with a shocker. I'm going to go with a 2017 Seahawks win. Um, wow. And uh, it, it is, it is against all my, all my uh, instinct, but, but that's kind of where uh, I have to at least represent Evan with, without, uh, without him here. Um, where I go, like when I'm trying to be optimistic about this game, I think Seattle, I think back to that Washington game last year where Seattle just clearly didn't take Washington seriously and was just going to try to run the ball a bunch with Eddie Lacy and get out of there with a last minute field goal for a win, which I mean, they probably should have. Um, Seattle will. I think Pete is willing to kind of sit on stuff. And I think, I, I don't think it's just Pete. I think NFL teams will save stuff, um, especially for division opponents and stuff like that. And if there's any truth to the idea that they're waiting to see if they can beat the Rams, then I think it's probably especially true that they may be sitting on some plays and stuff. And maybe that's where the deep shots have gone. And maybe that's where the, the play action has gone and some of that. And so, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for them to come out and surprise the Rams a little bit. Um, now I, I think it's a, a stretch to think that they're going to be able to keep that up for a whole game and keep up with that offense. And I think it's a stretch to think that that defense is going to play like they've played without Earl, um, without Kendricks, um, still without KJ. Uh, I don't think there's any chance in hell they win this game. But I, <laughs> if you want to think about how they might keep it close, maybe that's how. Yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, uh, you know, look out for David Moore. Maybe this is yep. a, a game. So where... the Rams uh, against uh, number one receivers, they're 14th in DVOA. Against number two receivers, they're uh, second in DVOA. But against all other receivers, they're 30th in DVOA. So maybe this is our David Moore uh breakout game it's coming dude you and i you know i've been looking for it we've been waiting for it mm-hmm. and if they do not figure out a way for michael dixon to contribute is michael to dixon team, still good oh yeah is he still is he still gonna number, get in the ring of honor i don't know number one in points uh added in punting in in the nfl so but what is he just like coasting up like that first two weeks oh no no he, he had actually fallen back out of that position and, and researched back into number one uh wow so uh, but God, they've got to troll Rams fans by having a special teams play from our Aussie kicker um, that contributes to some ridiculous victory, right? Like that has to happen. Or Janikowski like flicks a sig into Goff's eye and and causes some crazy injury that no one's expecting. Like there's got to be something like that that's going to happen. So, um, all right, fellas, a uh, lot a lot of good stuff tonight. Um, looking forward to. It's gonna be an interesting game this weekend. Um, really tough, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna learn a lot. Uh, if, if we can get one victory over the Rams this year, uh, that's pretty much, I think, going to be the the peak of what this team can hope for in the season. So, um, uh, see what see what comes out of that game. With that, um, say goodnight. Thank you, everybody. If uh, you haven't already signed up at Patreon.com, please do. P a t r e o n dot com slash Hawkblogger. Uh, lots of great ways to join and, and get some inside info and, and join the private Facebook group as well as uh, chat with the guys uh, uh, through that. So take care uh, and go Hawks. <laughs>